first things first. Amen. How many of you know that God's kingdom is our priority? Oh, come on. Did I, walk, did I come to the right church this morning? Is this the first church of the Frigidaire? Is anybody home today? Man. Okay, everybody stand up. Stand up for me. All right, shake it off. Everybody shake it off. Did I come to the right church this morning? Yeah. Amen. Isn't God's word good? Yeah. Are you glad to be a part of his kingdom? Yeah. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. That feels better. Amen. That felt good to me to read that passage of scripture. Amen. God's word is so good. Amen. So first things first, God's kingdom is our priority. Amen. So here's the questions. Here's some questions I want to ask us before we get into our, our message. Are you living kingdom first? Quiet. <laughs> Are we living kingdom first? What, what is our priority? Has job taken priority? Has family taken priority? Has hobby taken priority? Have you taken the priority? What's, what's the priority? Are we living kingdom first? How have you done at prioritizing God's kingdom? Think about it. Let's do a self-evaluation here real quick. How are you doing with tithe? The first part. That's to be set aside for God. Well, that's Old Testament. We're going we're gonna to have a series, a message about this in this series, and we are going to clearly show exactly what the Scriptures teach. Not my opinion about it, but what God's Word says about it. And we prioritize God's kingdom with our tithe. That's what the Bible teaches, all right? Don't, don't stone the messenger this morning. That's what the Bible... How are we doing with tithing, with giving? Are we putting God first in our finances? How about serving? How are we doing there? Now, don't, don't look at me. Don't look at your neighbor. Don't, don't try to judge how your wife's doing in these categories. She's not serving well. He's not, my neighbor's not serving well. This is not according to Scotty. This is not according to, to anybody in this room. This is how are you? Let's, let's turn the light on ourselves. How are we doing? Are we serving well? Are we putting others first? Are we living at the center of a selfish universe? How, how's prayer going in your life? How about fasting? Jesus talked about a lot of this in this passage that we just read, didn't he? How's it going with fasting and your prayer life? How's your devotional life? Think about that. How many times this week did you hit devotional time? How many times did you miss it? So again, the question, are we prioritizing God's kingdom? Are we putting the first things first in our life? All right. So we read a passage this, this morning, Matthew chapter 6, our our. our uh, foundational verse for today's message is Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. By the way, that is David Robinson, the admiral. That's his favorite Bible verse. How many of you know David Robinson? Man of God. He was one of the greatest sinners in NBA history uh, in San Antonio, Texas. San, how about the San Antonio Spurs? No, all right. I'm all by myself. That's all right. That's all right. Y'all can root for losers if you want. Go Spurs, go. David Robinson's favorite Bible verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What, are you. what are you concerned about? What have you given priority to besides God's kingdom? 
What have you elevated above the kingdom of God? What, have you, what matters are you concerned with? Is it, is it finances? Is it vocation? Is it trying to provide for your household? Have you elevated that above God's kingdom? Is it paying your bills? Is it your job? Is it your family? Have you, listen, when you put your family before God, you put your family in a dangerous place. It's quiet. What have we put as our primary concern in life? When we put kingdom first, we don't have to worry about any of those things. Amen? I've learned that. And I'm going to tell you what, I've struggled with it. Every one of us in this room struggle with that. We, we, we want to make sure everything in our lives is going the right way. We, our, our bills show up, and then we worry about them, right? The phone calls come in, and then we worry about them, right? Uh, yeah, stuff comes in life, and then we get concerned about it. So there's this constant tug on us to, to get our affections, to get our emotions, to, to begin, get us into the cycle of worry and concern and care about all of life's matter. And Jesus calls us, focus on the kingdom and everything else is going to take care of itself, right? Spiritual principle, spiritual truth. When you seek the kingdom first, you don't have to worry about life. And it, it, that, that, and listen, I know, I, I go back and forth. I, I go from being red hot, seeking God's kingdom, to getting distracted and being concerned about my family, being concerned about this, that, or the other, my bank account, my job, whatever, right? Sometimes you can get caught up in doing church work and prioritize that above kingdom, Right? So I, I live in the world of pressure and tension just like you do. The pressures come to my life just as much as you. But I have learned that when I do seek kingdom first, things come together in life. God takes care of every single need. Amen? Listen, Solomon was not arrayed as beautiful as all of nature, and the birds don't worry, the flowers don't toil. God takes care of them. How much more will God take care of us? We don't have to worry. When we prioritize kingdom we don't have to worry about life. It says it in the passage that we read, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. What will you eat? What will you drink? How are you going to pay your phone bill? You don't want your phone to be shut off. You can't scroll for four hours. <laughs> Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? prioritize God's kingdom, seek God's kingdom. What exactly does that look like? I'm going to give you uh, two foundational Bible words for seek, okay? What does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? Principle number one, we need to seek first. Seek early. The word is shakar. It's a Hebrew word, and it means to dawn. The, word, the Hebrew word to seek means to dawn, to get up early. Like some of y'all, it's been a while since you've seen the sunrise. To dawn, to get up early, to seek early and earnestly. That's the word. It's used in Psalm 63, verse 1 through 3. It says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life and my lips shall praise you. Seek early, right? And, and for some of you, that may not include the sunlight, the, the, first, the first morning's dawn. Maybe you work night shift and for you getting up early is at 10 or 11 o'clock. 
How, how do you start your day? How do you set the tempo? What is your early focus? What are you seeking first thing of the day? I've got a, a son. I'm looking around the room. I don't see him. He may be back in the, the live stream room. So, oh, no, he's, he's hiding in the very back of the booth. So I've got a son. I'm, I'm really honestly proud of all my kids. All, all four of my kids are amazing kids, thanks to their, their mother. They're great kids. But I've got a son, 14 years old. His name's Jensen. I hope he's blushing back there behind that monitor. He's hiding so nobody can see him back there behind the computer. <laughs> but I got to say this. I, I am so proud of this young man. This entire summer, he is the first one besides me to rise in our house. And you know what the first thing that he does is? He goes and I see him come to, the, to our dining room table. He sits down at the head of the table in my seat. <laughs> he always fights me for the seat, the head at dinner time. But he sits down at that, that, that chair. He has a, a notebook, a devotional book, and a Bible. And he pulls that thing out. And he is reading. He is highlighting. He's underlining. He's making notes. He doesn't know this. But we, we did this yesterday morning. We were on our way to the garage sale yesterday morning. Guess what he had in his lap on the way to the church yesterday? Because I woke him up early. And he hadn't gotten his devotional in. So he had his Bible and his notebook in his lap. And he left it in the floorboard when he came into the church. And I went back out to the car later. And I snuck through just to see his notes. And he's got some good notes. But I'm proud of that young man. Because he's making up. And then the next thing that he does is he rolls out his exercise mat. He does his push-ups, his sit-ups, his squats. And he says, Dad, I want you to take me to the park so I can practice. He's a baller. But he's, he's got his priorities right. At 14 years old, there's something that we can learn. Make God the priority of your day. Seek him early. Seek him earnestly. Start your day off in the word of God. Spend some time praying. Seek the face of God first thing, and it will change the way that you live your life. C.S. Lewis, I love this quote, talking about putting first things first. He says, when you put first things first, it is not to neglect second things. It does not take away from second things. It enhances and increases them. That is so true, right? Well, if, if I spend that, that 30 minutes, you just don't understand, Pastor Chad. I got screaming kids that I've got to get to school. I've got to get them clothed. I got to get breakfast made. I got to get to work. Listen, learn this. Whatever you sacrifice in life to put God first will never be diminished. It will be enhanced and increased when you make God priority in your life. There's a lot of powerful truth in that. Everywhere that Abraham went, he built an altar, he pitched his tents, and he dug wells, right? God and his kingdom first, home, and then vocation. He built the altar then he took care of his house, right? And then he went to work. There's a beautiful model of balance and health and priority from the life of Abraham. You, you, when, when we put the things of God first, we keep our, uh, the, the, the flame of our, our marriage, our, our mission, our ministry, our vocation, whatever we're involved in, we keep that burning bright, right? Putting God first never diminishes anything in our life. The sacrifice of time, the sacrifice of your tithe, will not hurt your finances. It will bless them. Whatever we give up for the sake of God's kingdom will not diminish us. It will only increase us. 
It empowers us. It strengthens us. It edifies our lives. We, we maintain passion in every aspect and, and every season of our life by pursuing the kingdom of God. That's important. All right? So, looks like some of my notes got deleted. It's my first time using this. All right? Here they are. I found them. So we seek him early. That's part one. Part number two, how do we seek God? What does it mean to seek God? Seek him first. That means priority of focus. Right? Priority of focus. In the the New Testament, there's a Greek word. It's phroneo, and it is to direct one's mind to a thing. Where does your mind go when you wake up? It's not as, well... So sometimes as a pastor, you think about church problems. You know, when I, when I really used to have problems waking up when I was a contractor and I had all these jobs going and I had to get people there that I wasn't sure they were going to show up because, you know, they had gotten paid and it was party night and I wasn't sure if they were going to show up to the job site. They, and I had, I had uh, clients waiting to make sure, we, you know, our, our, our product was going to get finished. I had all kinds of electrical issues, plumbing, whatever the issues were. And I would wake up, and sometimes before the alarm clock, it would be 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm wide awake sitting there, and all this stuff's going. <sighs> How many of you have mornings like that? Family crises, right? Your teenagers, what, what do you wake up thinking? What's running? So we have to set our mind. Seek first means to set our focus, to have a priority of focus. It's in Colossians chapter 3, this word phroneo. Beginning in verse 1, this passage just says this. It says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Seek those things which are above. Remember the high life a few weeks ago? Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind, that's the word right there, phroneo, set your mind on things above, verse 2 says, not on the things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Right? So we have to set our mind. Seeking God is about setting our mind. Right? How many of you have ever been in a conversation, and you realize you weren't really there? Right? That, that happens in devotional time. I, I can read an entire devotional and then think, what did I just read? Right? I can read an entire chapter of the Bible. What did I just, I could sit there and pray and think, you know what, I really honestly didn't really engage God. My heart was not in this thing this morning. We have to in, be intentional and set our focus, set our priority on Jesus. Shut stuff off. Shut your phone off, right? Let me, let me encourage you, don't do your devotional on your phone because the temptation is, I know it. Answer that phone call, return that email, scroll Facebook, look at all the reels, right? Who, how many likes did I get on Instagram while I was asleep? Put all that stuff aside, get your Bible out, and seek God, all right? Seek first the kingdom of God, all right? So there, there's a, a couple, direct, do it early and set your focus. There's a couple things. And listen, there's a whole lot more coming down the hatch in the next few weeks about this. So that, that's a little bit of the how-to, but what, what are we talking about? When we talk about the kingdom of God, what is it? How do we discern the kingdom of God? It's going to look different for you than it looks for me, right? For me, I'm a pastor. There's tending to the sheep, taking care of the church, leading all, all these things that are involved in pastoral ministry. Right? For, for me, that's, that's 
part of, not all of, but part of what it looks like to seek God's kingdom, to do the work that he's called me to do. Leading my family is a part of that, right? And there's many, many different aspects of my life and walk with God that's, that's about building the kingdom of God. But it's, it's going to be different for you. Some of y'all, that's your vocation, right? Some of you, that's reaching your neighborhood. Some of y'all, that's going over to Portland and doing outreach over there, right? It looks different for each and every one of us. And sometimes some of the things that we think are kingdom aren't really necessary kingdom priorities. They're things that we have exalted. There's things that we have lifted up in our minds and said, this is what it's supposed to look like. And in reality, it's nothing that God's called us to. So how, how do we discern whether or not it's, it's kingdom? I think a great verse that helps us, I'm gonna, and I'm going to give you two tools here that will help you to discern God's kingdom before we get out of here today. I want to give you these two tools, two simple verses about discerning God's kingdom. The first one is in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. It says, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not eat or drink, it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. I learned something from John Hagee, pastor in San Antonio, Texas, and some of y'all may, may know the name. You Maybe you've, you've seen his ministry on social media or television. But uh, I grew up in San Antonio, was there for 35 years, and uh, a lot of connections. Brother Hagee used to teach at the Bible college where I went. A lot of his staff were in Bible college with me. There was a lot of connection, community things, and so I, I got to know quite a bit of their church staff. And one of their, their ministers, Peter De Jesus, uh, shared a principle. And, and I, I want to say this about, about Pastor Hagee. One, one of the coolest things about Pastor Hagee is this, one of the coolest experiences. We, we've seen him on television. We heard the oratory, the preaching, the, power, the, the powerful preaching. But uh, th this is a story that I want to convey to you because this is really what kingdom is about. It's when, so my pastor had, had built a new uh, church facility, and they, they invited Pastor Hagee to come and to dedicate that new building. And Pastor Hagee came, and when he went back to the office, he had a security team with him. He had a couple of young men with him. And you know what he was doing with ministers that he was raising up, but also with the guys that were his security team? He was teaching them the Word of God, sitting in the office, waiting for the service to start, he was teaching the principles of the word of God to the men that were with him. He was a disciple. It's powerful. More powerful than standing in a pulpit and delivering. More powerful than a television broadcast. Imparting his life to the men that he was with every single day. Right? So Peter de Jesus shared this principle out of this verse. And, and Pastor Hagee taught this to his leaders. This is a way that you can discern the kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy. When you're making a decision, is this God's kingdom? Should I partake in this? Is this something I need to be pursuing? Is it righteous? How do we know if it's righteous? Do I have faith for it? Right? Everything that is not of faith is sin. If you don't have faith for it, then it's not righteous. Right? Peace. Does this bring peace to my life? Do I have peace about this decision? And then joy. Right? 
But there's, there's a misconception that whenever you do the will of God, whenever you're involved in doing kingdom work, that you're going to be miserable. Wrong. Right? Yeah, it's, it's difficult. I say it often. Ministry is the worst thing I've ever done with my life. But it's also the best thing I've ever done. It's trying. It, there are struggles. You name it. All kinds of hardships. The, 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 the pay sometimes is not all that great. Everybody thinks that preachers are millionaires who drive big cars and probably three years of my life, I've been paid hefty salaries. Or not even hefty, livable salaries. 26 years of ministry, maybe three of those years where I paid all my bills with what came in through ministry. The rest of the time I worked and did things on the side to support my family. It's difficult. Doing the work of God's kingdom is not easy, but it's, at the same time, it brings joy. There's fulfillment in it. There, there's peace. People talk about you. You got a big, my, one of my mentors, Van Gill, they, they, he was asked, how do you recognize leaders, leaders in the church? And he says, if you want to know who the leader in the church is, look for the man with the target on his back. Right? It comes with the territory. If you're going to lead in God's kingdom, you're going to experience difficult things, but you will have joy in the midst of all that struggle. Right? Righteousness, peace, and joy. Let's look at this, okay? Righteousness, peace, and joy. How do we know, how do we discern the kingdom of God? Number one, is it a righteous thing? If we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we know it's the kingdom of God, right? Matthew chapter five, verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, right? When you're pursuing God's kingdom, you will be satisfied. You will be fulfilled in what you're doing, because it is a righteous thing. If you'll hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll always be right in the middle of God's kingdom. Does that make sense? That's number one. Number two, pursue peace. If you want to discern the, will, the, 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 the kingdom of God in your life, if you want to make sure that you're right in the middle of God's will, his eternal purpose, fulfilling and advancing his kingdom, pursue peace. There's a lot of scripture here for this. First Peter verse 3, verse 11, he says, let, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. We ought to be pursuing peace. We have a lot of Christians that love to start fights. They're always screaming about this group, that group, politics, all that. You know what we need to do? Avoid those people. They're walking in a way that's contrary to everything, everything, everything that's taught. Yes, we are to oppose the evil works of darkness, but we are not to engage in these political fights and personal fights and attacks. We are not to engage there. That's not where our battle is at. We have a battle that is in the principalities and powers and spiritual darkness. Those politicians are not our enemies. They're puppets being used by spiritual powers. Our real war is in prayer. It's in the establishing of the kingdom, the declaration of the word of God. The, the, the person at work is not your enemy. The person at your family reunion is not your enemy, right? Yes, they're opposed to the things of God. They're not your enemy. They're a soul that needs to be saved. War in the spirit, amen? The wrath of, of, of man will not work the things of God. Pursue peace. 
Over and over again in the scripture, we're, we're encouraged to pursue peace. If we're pursuing peace, we're, we're advancing the kingdom of God. Blessed are the what? Peacemakers. Not the contentious. Right? Not those who are in conflict all the time. Not those who are mad and upset and angry about what the world's doing all the time. Blessed are the peacemakers. For theirs is, they'll inherit the earth. Right? Be a peacemaker. Psalm, and, and look at this. This is in Psalm 34. It says, uh, in verse 14, depart from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. And this is actually the passage of Scripture that Peter is, is quoting. Let's read it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do, do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who are, have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. Amen? Be a peacemaker, and you'll find the deliverance of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Right? Romans chapter 12, verse 18, and if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Also read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 13, or 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, and those are just a few. We're called to pursue peace. If we want to know the kingdom of God, pursue peace, right? Hunger and thirst after righteousness, number one. Number two, pursue peace. And by the way, y'all thought I was up here crazy last week encouraging y'all to shout. Y'all remember that? Some of y'all were looking at me funny. Why is the preacher up there giving, and I told you this, it's because it brings joy. It brings strength. It brings victory. Romans uh, chapter, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's look at Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 6. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion. How about Psalm 26, 27, verse 6? Offer the sacrifices of joy. The other, another translation, offer the shouts of joy. Your shouts are sacrifices of joy. All right? It, it works the purposes of God. I'm going to give you the third principle here in just a second. Number one, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Number two, pursue joy. Number three, receive joy. Choose it. You, this, joy is not ever in Scripture um, framed in the context of us pursuing it. We don't have to go out and search for it. Every time it's framed in the word of God, you know what it is? It's about receiving joy. Choosing. It's a decision. Choose joy. Joy is there if we want it. It's already been procured. It's, it's because it's, it's not something that we're conjuring up. It's not something of ourselves. It's something that comes from the Lord. Am I making sense? Count it all joy, right? It's not, it's not circumstantial. It's not based on what's going on in your life. Count it all joy, when you fall into various troubles and trials, receive joy. Choose it. First Peter chapter 6, 
Listen to what he says. All right, chapter 1, verse 6. He says, In this greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen you, you, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now may the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace in believing that you may, be, may, may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what's the point, the, the point here? I, I'm trying to give you a, a tool that will help you discern the kingdom of God. What are they? Righteousness, peace, joy. If those things are present, you know that you're advancing God's kingdom. Right? So what do we do? Hunger and thirst for righteousness, pursue peace, receive joy. There's a tool. There's a tool. I, I've got some more scriptures here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip through them. I'm, I'm going to get to my second tool. Number one tool. How do you discern the kingdom of God? Righteousness, peace, and joy. Do I have faith for this? Does this bring me peace? Does this give me joy? All right? That's how you recognize the kingdom of God. And it gives you joy when everything's falling apart. It gives you joy even when you're not seeing the fruit that you think you ought to be seeing. You know you're doing God's will. You know that you're right in the heart of what God is up to. All right? Second tool. It's another, another scripture. It's Romans chapter 11, verse 36. Romans 11, verse 36. I heard this from a guy named David Ravenhill. His dad was my favorite preacher. And he really helped unfold this concept. Romans 11, verse 36. He says, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. So from him and through him and to him are all things. So if it comes from God and as it goes through us, it's through God and then it returns to God, then we know it's the kingdom, right? So let's say it this way. How many of you have ever gotten an idea that didn't come from heaven and tried to advance it? And you wake up in the middle of it and realize, I'm not, in the, I'm not really doing God's work here. Right? So that's the first part of it. How many of you have ever received something from heaven and then gotten into your own flesh trying to keep it happening? It wasn't the Holy Spirit doing it through you. It was the work of your flesh. Right? We've all been there. Lastly, how many of you received something from God? It may have gone through God, but then you didn't give it back to God. You started to take the glory. So here's the tool, two, two tools. Righteousness, peace, joy. We're identifying the kingdom. 
when it comes from God, through God, to, and goes back to God, it's the kingdom, right? So what, what's at the, the heart of this conflict, the thing that's working against us, that, that's trying to keep us as believers, everybody, mo- most of us in the house saved, yeah? The auctioneer said if you shake your head this way, if it falls off, it'll fall in your lap, but if you do it this way, and it falls off, you don't know where it's going to go. How many of you saved in the house this morning? All right, we're saved. We're saved. But you know what the enemy wants us to do? He wants to get us off course. And you know, you know how he most often does that? He gets us focused on our own kingdom. He gets us focused on our own self. Right? We live in a culture that is all about self-realization. This, this culture is encourages. You've you got to find yourself. Right? The, the, the kids are just, they're just finding themselves. They're, they're searching for themselves. Guess what happens when you find yourself? You are utterly lost. You're miserable. It's unfulfilling. Being the best version of you is, is a waste. There is no satisfaction or life out of it. Right? But there's this whole thing in this, this life that we live that, that calls us to self-realization. And guess what self-realization? You know what? You know where self-realization always leads us? Talking about Christians, it leads us to works-centered lifestyle. It leads us to self-righteousness. But when we're receiving from God and it's God working through us and we give it back to God, he gets the glory. There's God realization there. There's a there's a huge difference. Huge difference. Only the, the only initiative that we, we need is a Christ realization. That's, the, that's what we're called to. Not a self-realization, but a Christ realization. Listen to Philippians chapter 3, and, and I'm, I'm working towards a close here. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. says This is the Apostle Paul. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You put this in context, the Apostle Paul has just been talking about himself, right? Pharisee of Pharisees, I was from the right tribe. I I knew better than anybody the law of God, right? All of his merits, all of his credentials, all of his accomplishments piled up, and he says all they are. When I came to the realization of who Paul was, it was a, it was a dung pile. Self-realization brings you to look at a big pile of dung. That's where it led Paul. And he says, brought me to this place that the one desire that I have is that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, and, and I'm made conformable to his death. That was the final conclusion of the Apostle Paul. The world's calling us to this thing of self-realization, and Jesus calls us to come and die, right? Don't move towards self-realization. Move towards knowing Jesus. Paul did that for, for years until the Lord arrested him on the Damascus Road and he got a revelation of who Jesus was. He had a Christ realization. That's ultimately what we need. The kingdom will come to our life when we have this Christ realization. 
You know what? The Holy Spirit is determined that every single one of us in this room have a Christ realization. Some of you wondering why you keep going in circles. Why do, I, why do I keep having the same experiences over and over and over? No matter what I try at home, it doesn't work. You've switched jobs over and 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 over again. You move churches over and over and over and over again. And you know what we end up doing in these cycles? We always end up blaming everybody else. It's not working because of my wife. This, this church would be better if it weren't for uh, that preacher. It would be better if it weren't for that worship team. It would be better if it weren't for that board. It would be better. My, my, my job as a pastor would be better if it weren't for Scotty, if it weren't for Pastor Bill, if it weren't for, We always try to blame everybody else. You know what that is? That's frustration from self-focus. We move to a place of self-pity because our eyes are set and focused upon me. We have to come to a place where we die to that. You're not the problem, my frustration in life. Scotty's not, my wife's not, my kids aren't, my, my mother-in-law's not, she's gone. You know where the majority of all my self-frustration comes from? It's the problems that God's trying to work out in me. Right? Has nothing to do with my circumstances, nothing to do with my situation. Whatever situations, whatever circumstances, they are not happenstances. They are things that God is bringing to your life because the Holy Spirit is determined that he's going to bring you one way or another to a realization of Jesus Christ and the death of yourself. Right? The world entices us towards self-realization. The kingdom of God calls us to die to self, that we can find Jesus. Building our own kingdoms. Again, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, that by any means I may obtain through the resurrection of of the dead. This was Paul's hope. This was his desire. This was his plea. This was him longing for the kingdom of God to be manifest in his life. We have to die. There's a, there's a story of uh, northern reindeer that, that I read this week during, during devotional time. Pretty, pretty incredible. And this would probably be up around uh, Norway, Sweden, up in that area, the, the Nordic region. And there, there are people there called Laplanders, and they're these people that live out, they're, they're, they're rugged, they're wild, they're out in the cold. They, you, you may have seen them, big beards, dressed in fur and all that kind of stuff, living with the reindeer. Anybody ever seen those guys? And they, they kind of, they have this herd mentality. They, they travel with the reindeer. They depend upon the reindeer. They feed on them. They use them in, in the work that they do, travel, etc. They, they, they rely on these reindeers, and these Laplanders follow these, these, these reindeer all around. And there's a phenomenon that happens with these reindeer every single year. The north wind blows in, and one of these young reindeer, inevitably, and the, the, the Laplanders know this. They, they can sense as the, wind, the, the, the winds begin to change, and they can sense that it's that north wind that's starting to come in. And the, the, the reindeer, one little reindeer, one young juvenile reindeer will lift his nose to the sky and pff, snort. 
And they say often that little reindeer will stand there for moments, gazing towards the ocean. And this will play out over a course of the next few weeks that these juvenile reindeer, they begin to recognize this. And what it is, it's the scent of the ocean in the air. And one by one, they are aroused by this sensation and something begins to stir on the inside of them and they begin to jost amongst each other and they begin to stamp the soft soil under their feet and it's something the, the Laplanders can tell, something is about to happen. The, these reindeer are about to move and these young juvenile eventually stir the herd and they will get everyone in that herd uh, anticipating and stirring and jostling and ready to move. And before you know it, and it starts gradually sometimes with just a first, first step towards the sea. And over the period of weeks, their, their movement begins to progress, and eventually it, it turns into a stampede, usually led by these juvenile deer. And it's, it's such a violent stampede that they run, and, and it happens over several days. They will run, and they, will, they actually run with such a fervor that they will knock each other over, and deer are killed in the stampede. But here's, here's what it said in, in that devotional. This line stood out to me. Once in its lifetime, the reindeer must taste of the sea in a long, satisfying draft. If he is hindered, he perishes. There's something in these reindeer that long for that taste of salt. When they smell that northern wind that blows in with the smell of that ocean salt, it stirs something in them that puts them on a drive that ultimately stirs them to begin to go in pursuit with everything that's in them to go and get one lap of that ocean water. There's something of that salt that satisfies them. There's something in their body that's longing for the nutrients of that salt. Is there something in God's kingdom? Is there one? that just gets a scent, that they would begin to stir. I desire more. This life doesn't satisfy. Status quo church doesn't satisfy me. Yeah, I, I come to church every third Sunday. Sometimes I even remember to bring my Bible. Once or twice a year, I'll put something in the offering plate. And then when pastor preaches really, really good, I'll get up on a Monday morning and I'll get my Bible out and dust it off. And I can stick with it for at least two or three mornings. How long do we go through routine and ritual and rote without having the real yearning and satisfaction of knowing the kingdom of God? Church, something needs to stir in us. Why are we so complacent with the things of God? Why do we no, have no appetite for the things of God? Why, why are we content to live lives that aren't righteous, having no peace, no joy, no satisfaction, not receiving anything from God, nothing flowing through us through God, and giving nothing back to God, living at the center of a selfish world.
When will somebody get a scent of God's kingdom? When will we truly hunger and thirst for Christ, his kingdom, his righteousness? When will it mean more to us than our leisure, than our hobbies, than our vocation? When will it stir something in us that wakes us up every single day knowing that I've got a purpose, I've got something to accomplish today, I must be about my father's business today. There's a kingdom purpose that I'm going to live out today. There's something that God is going to unfold before me. And the Holy Spirit is working, and he wants to work something in me, and I want to receive that. I'm tired of going through the circles. I'm tired of this mundane lifestyle that brings me back to the same chaos and ruin and collapse. I want the fulfillment of the kingdom. I want the satisfaction of the kingdom. I want the substance of the kingdom. I want the, the, the fruit of the kingdom of God. I'm hungry for it. I desire for it. There's something more out there to, to be obtained. Am I just some crazy preacher? When do we stir beyond the dissatisfaction of this life? All the emptiness, all the lack of fulfillment, and say, you know what? I want to see God's kingdom come to planet Earth. I, I want to see my teenagers saved. I want to see my neighbors saved. I want to go on a missions trip. I want to go across the river and, and, and feed some folks and pray with folks and minister to folks. I'm tired of wasting my Thursday night watching uh, NBA basketball or whatever it is. When do we get so dissatisfied with this world and get consumed with God's kingdom? Something has to stir in us, church. There's more. There's more to life. Passion. First things first. Priorities. I want us to stand together. Here's what I want to do. Let me say this. Our youth are going to youth camp next week. I'm excited about that. They leave a week from today. If you've got teenagers that, that need to get signed up, please see me. We, uh, I, I'm grateful. We had a whole herd of people the last two days working downstairs, serving. And I think we raised, what was the number again? Steve, over $1,800 that we raised to help send our kids to youth camp. Praise God for that. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that. Now listen, I'm going to dismiss you in a second. We're going to do a few things here, but I, I want to I say this. Um, on your way out, don't do this right now, but on your way out, go downstairs and if you find anything down there in, in the fellowship hall, now when I say, when you, if you find, I don't, I don't mean the tables or the chairs. Talking about the yard sale stuff. Don't take the kitchen equipment home. Anything that's down there that's left over is yours. If you need it, take it. There's a donation jar on the table. If you want to contribute, we still, uh, I'd like to raise $2,500. So if you want to contribute, you can contribute in the jar down there. Amen.
What, what will it take for God's kingdom truly to be the priority of our life? What will it take? What will it take for us to live selfishly? What will it take to get us to the point where we stop putting basketball, baseball, youth leagues, all these things above church? Oh, I can just stay home and watch it online. Honestly, what will it take? I know you think I'm crazy. I know you think I'm nuts. I want to shake God's people. There is so much more. What will it take? What will it take? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to receive our offering, and then we're going to pray together. So if you have an offering, I'm going to pray over it. You can get ready to give that. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. We bless you. We honor you. We bring our tithe. We bring our offering. You've instructed us in your word. We return it to you. We give it to you. Thanks and gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you give. Here's, here's what I want. I want us as a church to go on a journey where we start putting first things first. Put God first in your finances. Listen, my wife and I have conversations with folks and they say, they say this, we, we can't tithe because we're afraid we won't be able to pay our bills. Listen, that, that's very real concern. I get it. I'll just be real vulnerable and transparent with you right now. I, I'm probably at about a fifth uh, reduction right now in my pay. I have less money in the bank than I've had in a long, long time. The concerns are very real. I get it. $3.69 for gas or whatever it is at your local gas station. I get it. I get the concern. Let me encourage you to trust God. I'm not knocking you. I'm not trying to beat you up if, you, if you're not a tither, if you're if that fear. That, that's real. I feel it. About almost, we're coming up on almost a year ago. My, my pay, personally, my income from other resources as well, all reduced. And we made a determination at that point. I, I have not, my, my giving every two weeks come out, out of my bank account. I haven't changed the amount that comes out. Sometimes I want to. I've thought about it. Maybe I should just go and go back to tithing what I'm actually getting. No, my, my tithe was already set. It's already coming out. So I, listen, I get the struggle. I get the battle of coming to church every week. And we were on vacation four or five weeks ago. It was very tempting to skip church Sunday morning. 
There's even some, some rumblings from some of the family members. Dad, it's vacation. Can we just sleep in? I was tempted almost. Come on, let's go. Let's go to church. We had a real amazing time. Found a great church, got nourished. I mean, I came away from there. God spoke to me through that preacher that Sunday morning. I'm glad I went. So here's, here's the challenge. Us as a church, I wanna, I'm going to challenge you for six weeks. The next six weeks. We're going to talk about our finances. We're going to talk about tithing. We're going to talk about serving. We're going to talk about putting people before ourselves. Because that's putting first things first. Me putting my wife and my kids before me is putting first things first. Me putting the people that God's called me to shepherd before myself, that's putting first things first. It's not easy. I have wants, needs, laziness, all that kind of stuff. I have to die so I can live. I'm going to challenge you for the next six weeks. Listen, I don't want, we're going to pray here over the, us as a church for people who want to go on a journey for the next six weeks. Here's what I'm asking you to do. If you're not tithing, start tithing. If you come every other week, start coming every week. Or maybe it's every, three, every third Sunday. Start coming every Sunday. If you're not reading your Bible, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you. Listen, I, I've done this. In the last six weeks, I, I have never spent as much time during my devotional time as I have the last six weeks. I, I, I made a decision. I'm going to give more into this because I want more from God. If you'll say, you know what, Pastor Chad, I'm, gonna, I'm with you. I'm going to try this for six weeks. I'm challenging you because I believe that God's going to make a difference in your life. Some things are going to activate in you that are, it's going to change the way that you live the rest of your life. I used to pastor a bunch of college students in Texas, and I would tell those students, don't, don't wait till you graduate college and get a job to start tithing and giving. Start now with what you've got or you'll never do it when you get a job. If I can do it, living on four-fifths of my income, we can do it. Maybe we have to change lifestyle. Maybe we have to change patterns. You can do it. So here's the, here's the call. If, if you're committed to go on a six-week journey, we're going to do something new. We're going to put some things in the first place that we have never done before. If you're ready, don't hesitate. Come right now. We're not going to take anything from you. We're not going to do anything to you. We're going to pray together, and we're going to make some commitments before the Lord. Amen.